Hey guys, welcome to a new edition of A Slut With Morals, where we go down rabbit holes of things I find creepy, mysterious, and well, I find myself going down a rabbit hole of curiosities, and you'll notice when I go, hmm, what is that? And then, it's extensive research all over again. Literally, I just keep adding on and on until I somehow learned how dinosaurs do it. So, now, this is the podcast where all of us learn a bunch of shit we don't really need to know, but now we do. This episode is brought to you by the Mixed Politics Podcast with Beth and Stainy. Listen to Mixed Politics on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple, or just type in Mixed Politics on your YouTube search engine. I do want to advise this podcast is actually going to be irregular after this first mini-series. I'll be taking breaks in between each series to make sure I do proper research, fact-check things, create proper timelines, and make sure I don't oversay things that other podcasters, television shows, etc. have already have. I kind of hate hearing the same thing over and over again. I want new facts, new information. And if you're here, hopefully you do too. And seeing as it was just the spooky season and I found myself wanting more, I decided to Google every state in the United States that had some weird urban legend. And I came across quite a few. So without further ado, jump down this rabbit hole with me. The land area of the entire United States is 3,531,905 square miles, with a population of 329.5 million people as of 2020. Alabama is the 28th largest state with 50,750 square miles and a population of over 4.9 million. Knowing this useless information, let's jump down Alabama's dark hole. Located in Sarah Land, Crybaby Bridge is one of the most bizarre urban legends from Alabama. The story goes that a young woman under the duress of war escaped from a plantation with her baby in tow. Pursued by soldiers, she attempted to hide under a bridge. To muffle the cries of her child, she put the baby's face under the water. Unfortunately, the baby did not survive. Today, you can still hear the cries of a baby as you walk the bridge that now crosses the creek. The Witch in the Woods Beware if you ever go into the woods near Gadsden, Alabama. According to local folklore, a disheveled woman will appear and tell you she sold her soul to the devil. This witch has been here for nearly a century and shows no signs of leaving. So, she just, she's just telling you that she sold her soul. Like, she doesn't ask you to do it. So, I guess if a creepy old lady comes up to you and she's just like, Yeah, I sold my soul to the devil. I guess you can just kind of look at her and be like, okay, and then just, like, walk away. That's probably, like, what I would do. (laughs) I'm sorry. Now, in Huntsville, Alabama, Sally Carter, who lived from 1821 to 1837, died under mysterious circumstances at age 16 when she visited her sister at the Cedarhurst Mansion in Huntsville. The plantation-style home was built in 1823 by some Stephen Ewing, Sally had been visiting her sister at Cedarhurst when she died in an upstairs bedroom after a brief illness. In December of 1982, Carter's grave, along with the graves of her sister Mary Ewing and Ewing's three children, were excavated when the townhome development began. When the graves were moved to Maple Hill Cemetery, the family did not disclose the new location of Sally Carter's grave. And we're headed back to Huntsville, Alabama, the dead children's playground. This eerie playground, adjacent to Maple Hill, in Huntsville Oldest Cemetery, this playground was designed to entertain kids while their parents visited graves of loved ones. Legend has it, though, 
that the spirits of children who've been buried in the cemetery since the first grave was dug there in 1822 come out to play at night. The living have observed orbs of light going down the slide, seen swings moving on their own, and even heard giggling. Creepier still, some say the spirits include victims of a rash of child murders that happened in the 1960s, when bodies were rumored to have been found in the area that now houses the playground. Nobody really knows where this urban legend came from, but it said that the playground itself wasn't open until 1985, so you can imagine how much pent-up energy these tiny little spirits had after 163 years without a slide. In 2007, the city tried to raise the park to make more room for graves and remove the slides and swings overnight, but after a public outcry, it was replaced with more modern equipment, making it slightly less creepy to look at and also resulting in happier ghosts. Because who doesn't love a happy little ghost, right? Now, we all know about the Bermuda Triangle and its mysteries, but this next one also left me with a raised eyebrow. And just to let you know, this one here is definitely a rabbit hole. The Alaskan Triangle Alaska is the number one largest state in the USA. Alaska is approximately 1,481,348 square miles, making Alaska 15.06% the size of the United States, with a population of only 731,338, and that number dwindles even more every year. But why? Over 20,000 people have gone missing without a trace in the area during the past 50 years alone. So that's about 400 people disappearing a year, and that's already a small-ass population. So. Are they being consumed by mythological beings like the beastly Kilut or the ghoulish kidnapper Kualupalik, lost on extreme hikes, or simply vanishing into a dark vortex? Nobody knows, though it's not for lack of trying. When the government lost House Majority Leader Hale Boggs Cessna into the Triangle in 1972, a massive search turned up tons of conspiracy theories, but no bodies. In 2009, the film The Fourth Kind, which was based in Nome, Alaska, tried to bring awareness to the missing people, but kind of just trailed off and said, LOL, it's aliens. And not just aliens, but like owl kind of aliens, like owls, like the birds. And, you know, since watching that movie, I literally cannot look at owls the same anymore. I used to think they were like these cute little birds and now they spook the shit out of me. Like I hate going to the zoo with my kids and looking at the owls. Like I fucking hate them. The area of Alaska has been associated with evil spirits and Tlingit lore for centuries, claiming it was trickster demons luring people to an icy death. Others believe that the area exists amid an electro electric electromagnetically influenced vile vortex. What is a vile vortex? Well, according to GraveyardShift.com, there are 11 other mysterious places where ships and planes simply seem to vanish, collectively called the vile vortexes. Vortices. Vortices? Vortexes. I can't. And like the fucking mushmouth, I'm sorry. And like, maybe I'm just illiterate. Maybe it's not even mushmouth, maybe I'm just fucking illiterate. And like their more famous sibling, the Bermuda Triangle, they all hold some rather creepy secrets. Ivan T. Sanderson was a biologist, writer, animal enthusiast, and huge fan of all things paranormal. He would go on expeditions and record what he saw and experienced in drawings, reports, and even photographs. And for fun, he even dabbled in science fiction. In his travels and studies during the early 70s, he began to notice that there were specific regions where things seemed to go so strange 
where planes and people seem to disappear and where UFO sightings seem to take place. He then mapped these 12 most paranormally active areas and named them the vile vortices. Vortices. I can't. These vortices are the Bermuda Triangle, the Algerian Megaliths, the city of Mohenjo Daro, the Hamakaluya Volcano east of Hawaii, the Devil Sea, the South Atlantic Anomaly, the Wharton Basin, the Easter Island Megaliths east of the Rio de Janeiro, the Loyalty Islands, the North Pole, and the South Pole. Half of these vortexes are distributed above the equator and half are distributed below the equator. In fact, five are along the Tropic of Capricorn and five are along the Tropic of Cancer, with only the North and the South Pole not being along these lines, meaning the vortices are mostly located near warm tropical climates. They're also evenly spread out distance-wise, which investigators have suggested prove there is something logical and mathematical to the chaos. So paranormal theorists have had a few ideas on what's actually caused all of these places to be in order. One such idea involved the ley lines or the idea that important places and man-made objects line up because of the spiritual energy or earthly feng shui. Other theories have more to do with the subtle matter or electromagnetic aberration, which is an idea involving geometric patterns actually addressed by Plato thousands of years ago, you guys. But still, scientists still aren't exactly sure how and why these vile vortices work or why they happen. What we do know is that they are areas in which strange, possibly even paranormal phenomena, disappearances, and disturbing tales seem to be extremely common. So back to the Alaskan Triangle. See, that was our... That was our little rabbit hole for the day, right? Okay, so back to the Alaskan Triangle. Instead of vortexes, others think it's Darwinian. It's a Darwinian result of human versus nature. Like, that's kind of a little bit more of a believable clause. Regardless, the area continues to claim people, and underneath that massive blanket of snow and rock likely lies one of the largest and best-preserved mass graves in the world. So what is the Alaskan folklore surrounding the area that has claimed over 20,000 people? Well, one of these is the Kalupalik. The Kalupalik, and I am so sorry if I am butchering this, I'm, I really am. The Kalupalik is a creature of Inuit legend describing as human-like and having green skin with long hair and very long fingernails. She lives in the sea, hums to entice children to come closer to the water, and wears an amuatik, which is a parka worn by Inuit women to hold the child against the back in a built-in baby pouch just below the hood. Parents and elders tell children that if they are disobedient or wander too close to the seashore, the Kalupalik will come on shore, put them in their amautic, and take them back to the sea with her to raise them as her own children, never to see their family again. The Alaska Bushman or Tornit Stories of the Alaska Bushmen or Tornits have been told since the first humans crossed the Bering Land Bridge. In the beginning, as the story goes, the Inuit people and the Tornits lived peacefully in, vi in villages near each other and shared common hunting grounds. The Inuit people often built and used kayaks for hunting. While the Tornits weren't unable to master the building of kayaks, they were very aware of, it, of the advantages of having and being able to use one. One story goes that a young Tornit borrowed a young Inuit's kayak without permission and damaged the bottom of it. The young Inuit became very angry and stabbed the Tornit in the nape of the neck while he was sleeping, killing him instantly. The rest of the Tornits feared that they too would be likely killed by the Inuit and fled the country, rarely to be seen again. Since that time, many stories have come out of the bush of the hunters disappearing, later found dead and mangled or never seen again. Apparently, hunters and the Tornits no longer peacefully shared common hunting grounds. And this is all due to some little asshole that just couldn't fucking ask for permission. 
more folklore from the Inuit people suggests an adlet, which bears some resemblance to the better-known werewolf. The adlet are a race of people said to have the lower body of dogs and the upper body of humans. Typically, they're believed to be the offspring of an Inuit woman and a dog, brought about through an unnatural mating. Of course it's unnatural. Like, why would they say unnatural? Bestiality! Anyway, the story goes, this woman gave birth to 10 children, half whom were dogs and the other half adlet. The family was sent to a remote island because they were so voracious and their grandfather would hunt for them and, and provide them with meat. Every day, the dog husband was supposed to swim from the island to the mainland where the grandfather was supposed to fill a pair of boots wrapped around the dog's neck with meat. Eventually, the grandfather filled the boots with rocks, drowning the husband. Fearing for her children's lives, the mother sent them inland where they spawned more adlet. The adlet are typically portrayed as aggressive savages who will attack men when they cross paths. Although the adlet legend is based in far north mythology, a version of the story also appears in Greenland, where the adlet are instead dubbed Urgigdift. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally fucking butchered that. Which has been linked to the European tales of the werewolf. Let's continue. Tis <laughs> Haruk. And I fucking believe this one because we have literally no idea what's under the water. So let's go. In mythology, the Tisharuk are large snake-like sea creatures that are believed to roam Alaska's waters. They are described as having a head seven feet long with a tail for a total of 12 to 15 feet long. Tisharuk were said to snatch people from docks and piers. The Tisharuk have some similarities to the Hayatlik or lightning snakes, occasionally associated with the Thunderbird of Southeast Alaska and Pacific Northwest native cultures. Once the Thunderbird spotted a killer whale, it would launch Hayutili as living weapons by throwing them from the skies like lightning. Kalut. Or maybe it's Kilut. Can I say Kalut? Would that be okay? Or should I just keep saying Kilut? The Kilut is described as an evil earth spirit that takes the form of a black hairless dog with only hair on its feet. It's much like the black dogs of Great Britain. Great, now I have to fucking research that shit. It's much like the black dogs of Great Britain following travelers at night, attacking and then killing them. If a trail of dog tracks is found that suddenly disappear, it is believed that the Kilut is nearby. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, you guys, that some of these actually kind of gave me a few images in my brain that uh, they won't let me sleep. You know, the snake one, the uh, Tisharuk, that one, I believe that one. Next on our list, we have Arizona. Arizona is the sixth largest state of the United States of America with 113,642 square miles. Arizona has a population of 7.279 million people. Now, this next one I did cover with the Aiden Mattis from TikTok in season three. The episode is called Wendigo, Skinwalkers, and the Missing 411 on my original podcast, A Slut with Morals. But nevertheless, here we go. Arizona has its skinwalkers. It's easy to feel uneasy while driving through the desolate desert roads of Arizona, especially at night particularly. So when you hear a short burst of taps on your window while cruising at 60 miles per hour and turn to see the shape-shifting mutilated half-human creature responsible for the high-speed interruption, it's pretty downright chilling. This legend is so ingrained in Arizona culture that when a Navajo woman was found brutally murdered in Flagstaff 
The accused killer's defense in court was that the attack could only have been perpetrated by a skinwalker. Now, I do want to say that Skinwalker Ranch is a property located approximately 512 acres southeast of Ballard, Utah, that is reputed to be the site of paranormal and UFO-related activities. So the Skinwalker Ranch itself is not in Arizona, but because there is so much desert out there, it does seem to be a hotbed for paranormal stuff. So where did this legend even come from? The Skinwalkers, like so many ancient American urban legends, have roots in Native American folklore. While it's fairly hard to gather specific details, as speaking of potentially sinister legends is seriously taboo in Navajo culture. They like they will not talk about it outside of people that are in their reservation. It's actually even a bad thing to say the word skinwalker around other people of their tribe. So it is understood that what non-Navajo refers to as skinwalkers are witch doctors who have become an evil reflection of everything the Navajo Nation values. Basically, they are men who've transformed into malevolent murderous creatures that have no qualms using their spiritual powers to kill. Navajo medicine men are trained to learn both good and evil aspects of their power, and skinwalkers are those who have turned to the dark side. Moving on, Arkansas. Arkansas is the 27th largest state with a population of 7.2 million people. The biggest urban legend of Arkansas is the Dog Boy, 65 Mulberry Street, Quitman, Arkansas, and the legend of Dog Boy. ArkansasOnline.com had an entire article, which I added in the description below, but nevertheless, here we go. Floyd and Aline Bettis moved into a large house in the early 1950s. The couple, childless for many years, had a son, one son, Gerald Floyd Bettis. In 1954, according to a local historian and the Arkansas Democrat Gazette archives, Gerald was a difficult child from early on. Reported those who knew of him, his parents were good people, but Gerald was a brat, vicious and cruel. Bettis also developed some unusual habits early on, including collecting cats and dogs, leading to his nickname, Dog Boy. Dog Boy would catch stray animals and torture them, and we could hear them howl, locals said. Bettis' actions allegedly turned more sinister, though. He kept his parents virtually in prison in the upstairs part of the house once he grew older. He would feed them, but only when he decided it was time for them to eat. By the time he was an adult, locals say Bettis towered over his elderly parents at 6 foot 4 and weighed close to 300 pounds. It was also regularly reported that he beat up his father and even threw him out of an upstairs window one time during his teen years. Although he was in his 70s at the time, the elder Bettis hung onto the ledge until the local police showed up. According to the Hebrew Springs Sun-Times, Floyd Bettis died in, in 1981 after an illness at his home. Others say he was pushed down the staircase and died of a broken neck. Locals were scared of Gerald. They said that his eyes seemed to glow at night. In the early 1980s, his mother, Aline Bettis, was also hospitalized, and during her stay, medical staff noticed how Gerald mistreated his mother, so they placed her in, a, in adult protective services and removed her from the home permanently. Afterwards, Gerald Bettis built a sunroom on the back of the house and sold the plants he grew, including marijuana. Authorities arrested him based on this and his mother's testimony of her abuse. Bettis was put in prison in the late 1980s and eventually died of a drug overdose. In prison? Ugh, duh, it was the 80s. Arkansas Democrat Gazelle archives confirmed Gerald Floyd Bettis' death in May 1988 at age 34. Once the house was sold to Tony Weaver, he began to share his personal in incidents, stating, One day I was working on the house and I saw a man looking through the foyer into the living room. He looked like a World War I soldier, complete with his helmet. He looked so real and when he walked into the living room, I ran after him. 
but no one was there, he said. If you bring somebody in there that they, the spirits, don't like, you'll feel chills and your hair will stand on end, Weaver said. One lady who was interested in buying the house brought her young daughter with her. The woman told Weaver that her daughter was sensitive. While they were talking through the house, the daughter stopped at the stairs and said that she felt very sad. Another time, some prospective buyer saw a recliner in the home flip back on its own, like someone was sitting there. It stayed stuck like that the whole time they were looking at the place, he said. Yet another prospect brought their dog with them to see the house, and the dog refused to go inside. Ed Munnerlin of Little Rock said he had eerie encounters in the Bettis' house just this past summer. A former pilot with Federal Express, Munnerlin has been working remodeling the home since May. He prefers to work on the house at night because he said too many people who are curious about the ghosts want to come in. He has also had several unexplainable incidents happen to him. I'm a rational person, I don't believe in the paranormal, but since I've been working on that place, I feel very uncomfortable, like someone's watching me, he said. He also claims to have seen spirits several times. When I pull into the driveway of the house at night, I see a man looking down at me. He is dressed in a brown jacket and a bow tie like from another time period. An extension to the house, and where Munnerlin claims to have seen the ghost of Gerald Bettis looking at him several times. He was this huge, weird-looking cat with long brown hair, creepy eyes, and great big arms and hands. He walked right in front of me and glared at me, Munnerlin said. Right after I saw him, he walked through the hall and disappeared. Munnerlin said he also experienced what felt like a cold wind blowing down his neck. Sometimes I hear something slam or someone walking across the floor, but I can't see anything. Let me know they're there, he said. In 2005, CASPR investigated the house. Shillings was the lead researcher on the case. We went there on two separate occasions, she said. First time, we noticed cold spots, 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the ambient temperature of the house. A very sensitive electromagnetic field detector was used that picks up all kinds of electromagnetic readings, and we picked up an energy force that had no explanation, she said. Shillings also reported that the team tracked an entity through the kitchen area, where one of the team members felt like someone touched him. When we went outside at one point to get some items from the car, we looked up and saw a face peering down at us, she said. All three of the CASPR team members witnessed the face in the window, but it was confirmed that there was no one upstairs at the time, Shillings said. The second time, the team used a medium who got in touch with what seemed to be the spirit of Gerald Bettis. He cursed us and told us to get out. The team used videotape to document what they considered to be additional evidence of paranormal activity, including orbs flying through the wall and unexplainable flashing lights. Although footage of these ghost hunting expeditions were shot over the two occasions, Schilling said that the more spectacular tape is missing. Multiple attempts to locate the film failed. It was disconcerting, she said. So, to sum it up, the urban legend behind the story is actually creepier than the legend itself. This concludes the A portion of this episode. Come back next week to listen to the Creepy Sea States. I'm your host, Rumi May. Be sure to check out the link below for your Embrace Your Weird merch. Promo codes 83093 gets you 15% off, and promo code WEIRD gets you free shipping. Okay? Thanks. Love you. Bye.